back from, uh, from holidays. As lovely as uh, holidays is, I still reckon there's nothing better than being home. Um, there is one thing about this passage that was just read out to us uh, that is true for all of us, is that we know this, right? It's not new. We know it. And so it's familiar if there was a job description for Christians, it would be this, right? But how do we do it in our time, in our place? How do we do this in Wangaratta in 2024? How do we do this in the Northeast? You know, last week, Andrew spoke about a great resolution for a new year from Joshua. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, right? This is what Jesus left us of how. And I guess we could sum it up really as being a disciple who makes disciples. Our vision and mission as a church is this. We exist to bring glory to God and the hope of the gospel to the northeast by making disciples through authentic worship, vibrant family, gospel-centered growth and joyful service. We have been very active in bringing hope through these four key areas, through authentic worship, vibrant family, gospel-centered growth, and joyful service. But I think the bit of our mission and vision that we need to work on the most is making disciples. So you might hear that as a recurring theme throughout 2024, about making disciples. In the Greek text of this passage, there is one imperative verb, which is make disciples. We're then in that passage given three ways of how to do that, going, baptising and teaching. So first of all, going. Let's go, going, there we go. See, our going is not just circumstantial, but there is an imperative force behind it. In other words, Jesus commanded his disciples to reach out to unreached people to make disciples, not just to make disciples amongst those whom they happen to already be in contact with. This is one of the reasons we do things like our free fun days and Thread Together. It's about going out. It's about going. It's about reaching out to unreached people. It's about taking the first steps towards people who need Jesus rather than waiting for them to come to us. Making disciples involves bringing people into relationship with Jesus as pupils to teacher. It's not making converts. It's making disciples, or as someone might say, apprentices. It involves getting them to take his yoke of instruction upon themselves as authoritative, accepting his words as true and submitting to his will as what is right. A good disciple is one who listens, understands and obeys Jesus' instructions. So part of being a disciple is that we must duplicate ourselves in others and reach out to all people without distinction. But here's a controversial statement. I think that there is a difference between a Christian and a disciple. In the last census, 
around 50% of Australians call themselves Christians. Yet church attendance shows that only about 15% of the population actually attend church and the measure used to measure that is once a month, 12 times a year. I wouldn't necessarily call 12 times a year a committed Christian. I think it's vastly different to a disciple of Jesus. A disciple is someone who is being transformed by the gospel more and more each day in vital relationship with Jesus and other disciples and is actively pursuing the commission that Jesus gave us to make other disciples. Someone who actually follows Jesus, taking up their cross to follow him, baptising and teaching are to characterise making disciples, which brings me to the next one is baptising. Baptising is to be in the name of the triune God. The into suggests coming into relationship with God as a disciple. Baptism indicates both coming into covenant relationship with God and pledging submission to his lordship. Water baptism, which rests on the finished work of Jesus Christ, is what's in view. See, disciples of Jesus are to connect with others, Sorry, to connect others with the triune God, Father, Son, Spirit. This might also be what we call evangelism. And Jesus didn't specify a mode of baptism, though immersion was common in Judaism and is consistent with the meaning of the Greek word baptizo, which means to submerge or immerse. His command to baptise disciples seems to rule out baptism for infants and others who cannot consciously understand and agree with what baptism signifies. And if you are a follower of Jesus but have not been baptised, then can I ask you, why not? We have an opportunity in two weeks' time, in fact, coming up. If you are a follower of Jesus and have not been baptised, then you can in two weeks' time on Sunday, January 21. Have a chat with me if you want to live out the commands of Christ by being baptised as one of his disciples. So we have the going part of the Great Commission. We have the baptising part of the Great Commission. We also have the teaching part of the Great Commission. Discipling... Uh, and this is where I'm going to spend the rest of today. So the first two we went through fairly quickly. The third one takes the rest of our time. Um, so discipling involves teaching followers everything Jesus commanded his disciples. Now, many of us have read this passage all of our lives, or all of our Christian lives maybe. But do we actually do this? Do we actually Teach others to obey what Christ has commanded us. Do we? When was the last time you can say, yeah, I did that? Oh, oh, that's hitting a bit hard, isn't it? But how? How do we do this? Well, this is the how of discipleship, is teaching. And this how takes effort and work to do. Disciples must not just understand what Jesus has commanded as foundation as it is. We've also got to obey it, right? And for us to obey Jesus' command is to teach others how to live the way of Jesus. 
most of the people in our community have never read the Bible. Most have never been in a church. Many don't even know any Christians. So how do we teach people like this how to live the way of Jesus? Well, we might call this spiritual formation. Another word that has been used to describe this might be sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. But spiritual formation, I think, is a bit easier to grasp. And Dallas Willard, he defines spiritual formation like this. Spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is the process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our teacher. This is discipleship. This is spiritual formation. It's being formed spiritually as a disciple of Jesus. But here's the reality. Spiritual formation is not just a discipleship thing. It is a human thing. We are all being discipled by something or someone. Some people are being discipled by Beyonce or a teacher at school or a glass screen in their pocket. They're always being formed by what they're disciples of. And we're formed in two ways, unintentional and intentional. Unintentional ways are all about our place, the culture, our friends, what we watch, what's in the news, things we come across in the natural course of life. It even includes government, our work colleagues, it happens over time and through experiences. And all you have to do to be shaped this way is to wake up in the morning and get out of bed. That's it. You wake up in the morning, you get out of the bed, you are being formed by what you are in contact with every single day. And so we have to ask, who or what are we becoming? Because unless you're intentional about it, you will become what the prevailing culture is shaping you to be. How to think, how to act, what your values should be. So I want to focus on the intentional ways in a moment. But we don't start with zero. No one starts with zero with new disciples. We don't get to start with a blank slate. We have to fight all the stuff I've just talked about. So when we're reaching out to someone and we're helping them become a follower of Jesus, they're already formed. We need to reshape, reform them. We start with people who every single day are being formed by a tidal wave of culture and so we have to offset all of that. But how, you might ask? Well, let me first say this. Knowing the Bible is not enough. Did I just blow your mind? Every single application, nearly every sermon is read the Bible, isn't it? Know the Bible more. But that's not enough. It's a good start. It's a great start. It's the perfect start, but it's not enough. I don't know about you, but in my experience of church, so often the answer to how do we change has been simply to read the Bible more. In our evangelical church tradition, it goes even further, and the focus has been on the preaching of Scripture in the sermon. It's become the centre of gravity for many of our churches. And I think it's a good thing, 
but still, it's not enough. The theory has been, if you hear really good, Jesus-centered, Bible-focused preaching and teaching, then you'll change. And that is the first step, I think, but not necessarily, it's not the whole picture. There are heaps of people who have been sitting in excellent churches with excellent preaching and teaching who have not been transformed. Just like there are plenty of people who have read the Bible and not been transformed. Changed a little bit, moved a bit in the right direction, sure, but not really what we would call transformation. And this mode of thinking began with Luther and it worked, working up to the Enlightenment with people like Descartes and many others, you know, I think, therefore I am. We've all heard that, right? I think, therefore I am. This is that mindset, right? And the idea changes around that time to human beings being brains that walk around. And so there's a whole shift in psychology, anthropology, all of that sort of stuff that's basically saying human beings are, are brains on legs, and if that theory of human personality were true, then you could sum it up like this. Information in equals transformation. This is what most of our systems of education and church are based on today. But we all know from our experience that this is not true. If it were true, all I would have to do is read a book on how to eat right, be active and maintain a skinny body and I'd be 40 kilograms lighter. But I know all the theory behind it. I have read all the information, but yet here I am. Right? As human beings, we are so much more than just a brain. You can't think your way to transformation. And you can't think your way to Christ-likeness because the way of Jesus is a way of life. The Bible, preaching and teaching, they are still of so much value and importance to encourage us in the way of Jesus, in the way of life. How else are we going to know what his way is if we don't read the scriptures, right? But just the information is not enough. It's not just an intellectual methodology following Jesus. Information alone does not bring transformation. It's the beginning point. But if you don't get past just information, then transformation as a disciple doesn't really come. So preaching, teaching and reading the Bible is not enough. They are a great start, but not enough. You know what else is not enough? Emotional encounters or experiences of God. Now this is found more in the charismatic church tradition and are often connected with physical, emotional or spiritual healing. There are often tears. Sometimes these experiences have coincided with physical manifestations, like what has been called being slain in the spirit, people falling down after being prayed for or something. Uh, it's not something I've ever thought was normal, um, or even right biblically. I've just never really been a fan, so apologies if that's part of your history in churches, then that's fine. But it's just not been my experience nothing I've ever longed for, but for some, those are times that they have felt closeness and the presence of God. I remember I was preaching once in a Pentecostal church, where afterwards I was asked to pray for people. And I remember this one lady came forward and asked me to pray for her, so I'm, you know, hands on praying for her, and she starts to go down. 
And so I hold her, trying to hold her up. I'm like, nope, not on my watch. This ain't happening with me. No. Nope. Well, she was bigger than I was, and I wasn't. And there was no stopping her. Down she went, and I'm like, whatever. <laughs> like, you know, but it's not been my experience. It was just strange. Um, but emotional encounters, though, rarely produce lasting change unless they're backed up by a change of lifestyle. So many of the charismatic tradition people go to church to have their you know, like spiritual top-up, if you like, to have that close encounter with God, that, that real emotional experience that sort of ties them over and sort of you go, I feel close to God, and then as the week goes down, you come down, 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 then it's back to Sunday. Oh, yes, I feel close to God again. Down, 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 and then it's Sunday, that experience. And, then, and that's what life is, is close to God on a Sunday at church in that emotional experience, encounter with God, and then it wanes over the rest of the week. It doesn't sound like transformation to me. In the same way that Bible teaching is the beginning, not the end, emotional encounters with God can also be a beginning but not an end, just like biblical teaching alone. Emotional encounters alone do not yield transformation. So making disciples doesn't happen with just biblical teaching or emotional encounters with God. They are starting places, but there has to be something more that leads to transformation. That is spiritual formation. That's the how. So how do we each do spiritual formation? How can each one of us, regardless of how long we've loved Jesus, how can we be disciples? How can we be transformed by the gospel and undertake spiritual formation? Well, did you know that in the New Testament, there are only two places where it talks about making disciples. And we've read one of them today. The other is a really obscure one, which you have to go into the Greek because they don't even translate like that in English in Acts 6, about making disciples. The rest of the New Testament just speaks about disciples. It just says disciples. Not making disciples, just disciples, a category of people, pretty much. And so the primary use of disciples is as a noun, not a verb. It's describing people, not an action. If you're like me, you had to like, look up grammar and go, did I get those words right? Um, if disciple-making is a verb, an action, then the onus is on pastors and elders and other older, wiser Christians to disciple others. And I was once in a church that was largely structured this way. There was an expectation that leaders, pastors, elders, mature Christians would meet once or twice a week and disciple others. It was encouraged to do this with many people, that you might disciple one or two or three people and you yourself are being discipled from somebody else. But if you didn't have someone to do that for you, then it was easy to, to, to become angry and complain that I didn't have someone to disciple me. And it creates an expectation that someone will meet with me each week and make me into Jesus of Nazareth the second. Right? There's that expectation in that culture of discipleship. And that was a working model of a church I was in where you'd meet with an older person and go through a book. And it's a great start again, but not a paradigm for transformation. A great piece potentially of the puzzle, but not the whole thing again. But if you think of a disciple uh, as a noun, like it is in the New Testament, then I think that's a pretty large game changer, right? 
because it places the onus of transformation to grow and become like Jesus. It places the onus on Jesus and on the disciple. On Jesus to transform us and us. Right? But I think we can have a very narrow view sometimes of what being a disciple is because we think of the 12 disciples, the apostles. That's a hard place to get to. I don't know about you, but I feel like that bar is pretty high, almost as high as my voice went, right? But what did Jesus, what he did with the 12, I think, was more leadership development, not necessarily discipleship, a bit of it all, but... I don't want us to confuse the two. Jesus had dozens, if not hundreds, of disciples who weren't in the twelve, that were not following him around, that that weren't passing out bread with the feeding of the five thousand. You know, there was at least seventy that he sent out, and he had women in that list too, which no rabbi had female disciples. So there's more going on. Leadership development is awesome. And what Jesus does with the 12 is a great template for that, something I'll be leaning into more and more in the year ahead with our leaders. But when that somehow gets applied to discipleship, we often forget that the goal of discipleship is not to become more like the person discipling you. The goal is to become more like Jesus. We are all here to apprentice under Jesus. So if you are discipling someone, and great, please do, it's more like you're, you're Peter, still learning from Jesus yourself, following the example of Christ. So discipleship and spiritual formation is not just reading the Bible. It's not just an emotional encounter with God. It's not just being discipled by someone else. It's our responsibility, each one of us, to accept the invitation of Jesus to follow him. So how do we do that this year? How do we accept the invitation and follow Jesus? How do we become transformed by the gospel and grow as a disciple in this year ahead? Well, let me take you to a passage, Luke chapter 6, verse 39. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. This was the words of Jesus. See, at this point in time, a disciple mimicked in every way their rabbi, their teacher. They would dress like him, speak like him, order their lives like him. This is teaching about an apprentice and a teacher. For Jesus, one of the main points of apprenticeship under him is for you to become like him. That means for us all that we need to change. At least in my case, there is a little bit of a gap between Aaron and Jesus. I don't know about you. Does that gap exist as well? Um, your gap might be shorter, smaller than mine. Um, but I, I know that I'm pretty sure I've got that gap. And that means that most of us actually need a radical overhaul of our entire person from the inside out to become more like Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3 says, Now the Spirit of the Lord, now the, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being, 
get this, are being, so it's a continued thing, not a once-off thing, are being transformed, there's that word, transformed into what? Into His image, the image of Christ, with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is the end goal, full-on transformation of our life from inside out to become more like Jesus of Nazareth. So is this actually possible? It's a good question to ask. Is being transformed more like Jesus actually possible? Do you believe this level of change is possible? You know, I genuinely believe that we all want to change. Otherwise, there would be plenty of other things we could be doing on a Sunday morning. We all want to be transformed by the gospel, but how? How do we undertake the process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our teacher? Well, Mark Comer has done a lot of work in this area and has given some great insight. And he suggests the following. Internal and external transformation that comes out of an ongoing relationship with Jesus. An ongoing day-to-day, moment-to-moment living relationship with Jesus. It begins inside and it moves outside. So... This is intentional because we are shaped by our habits. So we have to be intentional in what we do on a regular basis. The things we do regularly become part of us. They shape our loves and longings. They shape our desires. The more we do something, the more we want to do it. The more we drink coffee, the more we want to drink coffee. Deb said, Amen. The more we watch Netflix, the more we want to watch Netflix. The more we exercise, the more we want to exercise. The more we eat sugar, the more we want to eat sugar. But this is great news for following Jesus. Not so great news for coffee and sugar. But we have to say, in our loves and our longings, in our desires, this this is sort of... It's good news because it means that if our loves and our longings, the more we do the right things of being a disciple following Jesus, the more we want to do them, right? So it comes through our choice of habits. We're also shaped by our relationships. Our family, our friends, our work colleagues, our church, these people all shape us. So if we hang out a lot with angry people, we'll become angrier. If we hang out with complaining people, we will complain more. If we hang out with positive people, we'll become more positive. We become more like the people who we spend more time with on a regular basis, for better or for worse. So what we choose to do with our habits, our relationships, and even with our environment where we place ourselves... They all collaborate to shape us slowly over time. So we need to pay attention and be intentional with all of these things and more. So knowing this, who are you becoming? Are you becoming more like Jesus, expressed through who you are? Do you see your trajectory and like what you see and who you are becoming? So we can all grow to be more like Jesus, which is excellent news. And I want to be really clear here, God does all the heavy lifting in our transformation. 
right? God does all the heavy lifting in our transformation, but we still have a part to play. He respects our freedom. But everything pretty much is through his invitational love. So he does all the heavy lifting, but he respects us so much, he respects our free will that we still have a part to play. We still need to choose those habits. We need to choose those relationships. We need to choose how we spend our time, our talent, our treasure. We need to choose our loves and our longings, our desires, right? And he respects those. So if we are not intentional about it, something will take our loves and our longings and our desires and replace them for things that are not of God. That's the way the world is structured. So we've got to be intentional about it. He does all the heavy lifting, but our part is to be intentional about who we want to become. So how do we change? First of all is teaching. Good biblical teaching counteracts the stories that our culture is telling us and replaces it with what Jesus teaches us. It counteracts all the different messages of our culture. It is the good of what is the good life. And as a follower of Jesus, we just believe what he says is the good life and it is the best one on offer, following his roadmap for life. That's why we teach the Bible on a Sunday. It's about transforming our minds to counteract the stories the world is telling us and conforming them to the story God is telling us. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This is the beginning point for transformation. That's why it is still important that we teach the Bible always. We teach the Bible. That is what we do. On a Sunday morning, we teach the Bible. That's what we do in our small groups. We teach the Bible. That's what we do in our relationships with each other. If we're discipling others around us, we should be teaching the Bible. That's where transformation starts. How do we change? It starts with transformation. Second of all, practice. This is the things we do. See, I play the French horn, as you may have heard, and at our carol service. And I, I counted up the other day, I've been playing French horn for 28 years. It shocked me when I worked that out. But I'm nowhere near as good a player as I used to be in my late teens. What happens in the last 20 years? Aha, uh -huh, here we go. But I didn't start out amazing, right? I started out very other, other than amazing. It took practice to get me to the point where I was okay. Whereas I could sort of pass muster and do pretty well and play in orchestras and do some solo things and, and actually did, did all right. Um, but when, with millennials, right, the, the younger generations, when they want to play an instrument like a guitar or piano, they get really discouraged when they can't just pick it up and be amazing after a few goes, right? That's most of the, of the millennials, the youngest generation. They look at all these things, oh, YouTube tutorial, great, I'll go and buy a guitar, I'll watch this YouTube tutorial, and then I'll be amazing on the guitar, right? I've, I've seen the information, like information in equals transformation. This is the mindset that the world is giving them, right? And so they're like, why can't I, why does it sound terrible? 
I've, I've watched three videos and played for 30 minutes. I should be awesome at this. But no. Why on earth would we then think, as a disciple, we can do the same? It takes practice over a long, long, long period of time. Takes practice. Matthew 5, 6 and 7 are the greatest hits of Jesus' teaching, right? We call it the Sermon on the Mount. It's how we follow Jesus. It's incredible teaching. It's right down to earth, but the bar's set really high. Do not be angry. What? I'm angry that that's like the bar. Do not be angry. Wow, that's, that's full on. But I think we've probably forget, for, forgot in that whole Sermon on the Mount, there's sort of like bookends at the start and the end of the Sermon on the Mount. How it begins. Whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Did you see the word that makes it really important there? Practices. And at the end in chapter 7, you remember how Jesus talks about two builders? Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine does not put them into practice. is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Jesus begins and ends the Sermon on the Mount with the idea of practice. Jesus expects that it is going to take a lifetime of practice and community. When he says, do not worry, Jesus doesn't expect that instantly we will stop worrying. He expects that it will take practice. And to practice it together in community. See, it's not about trying really hard. It's about training really hard. You can't just run a marathon tomorrow. I could try really hard to run a marathon tomorrow, but I would fail. What I would need to do is practice. Start running 100 metres tomorrow. 200 metres the next day and so on for the next year, right? Then I might be able to run a marathon. Regardless of how hard I tried, if I tried to run a marathon tomorrow, it would be impossible for me to do that tomorrow. But it isn't impossible. I would just need to train really hard over a long period of time. So how many have approached our apprenticeship to Jesus this way? It's not about trying really hard. It's about training really hard. Most of the way of Jesus will take a lifetime of practice. Church really, I guess, then is a community practicing the way of Jesus together. Spiritual disciplines are how we train. We make abiding in Jesus goal number one, training hard. And we can't do it alone. It takes community. We need to do this with other people. Jesus almost never had conversations with just one person, one-on-one. -on -one. Community is the context where change happens. Community as a church or a small group exposes what's inside of us, the best of us and the worst of us. 
community exposes areas in our life where discipleship to meet Jesus, sorry, where discipleship to Jesus is yet to be touched. Where we need to grow, where we need to change. And healthy community also encourages us, loves and walks with us as we change, helping us to become more like Jesus. This, in fact, is most effective in small groups where we can't hide in the crowd, but we can know each other on a deeper level. Small groups is where it's at, people. Get into one this year. If you are not in a small group, why not? It is good for you to be in a small group, so be in a small group, right? We'll have them kicking off in February, so make sure that you get into one, or if you can't find one, start one and invite other people to get into it with you. Small groups where it's at, get in one. Um, and fourth, the final part of this, how do we change them doing today because I don't have three hours, is Holy Spirit, right? The hope and prayer is that we follow Jesus. As we follow Jesus, as we organize our life around the spiritual disciplines in order to make abiding the number one goal in our life, the long-term goal is that we live in a state of connection to the Holy Spirit, that our mind starts to default to God wherever we are. Whatever we're doing, our mind defaults to God. That our abiding in the Holy Spirit overcomes the spirit of our environment. So we do life with the Holy Spirit consciously as we do day-to-day activities, right? That is where we hope to get to. It will happen when we're in heaven, but that's where we're trying to get to closer and closer while we're still here. So the Holy Spirit is involved in teaching, in practice, and community, all of it. Paul's fruit of the Spirit in Galatians is not a command, Did you hear that? The fruit of the Spirit is not a command. The command is to live by the Spirit. That's the command. It's not to do love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of that, right? The command is live by the Spirit. From the Spirit, the fruit comes. Right? So being connected to the vine, abiding in Him, will produce the fruit. We need to remain connected to the Spirit, living in deep communion with him and this all takes time years it's not instant we are in our world so accustomed to everything being quick and instant aren't we but this takes a long time so how are we transformed by the gospel how do we become more like jesus how do we grow as disciples of jesus it takes good biblical teaching practice community and the Holy Spirit over time. It's a long, slow, unglamorous life following Jesus. Long, slow, and unglamorous. But change is possible. But it's not inevitable. It takes an intentional effort and action to follow Jesus over a long period of time through all that life throws at us. So as I close this message today, and someone said, Hallelujah, I'm ready for lunch. As I close this message today... How are you going, baptizing, and teaching? How are you doing those things? That's the the job description of a Christian, right? Going, baptizing, teaching. Who, Who are you going to share the hope of the gospel with and walk alongside 
teaching them how to live the way of Jesus. This is what it means to follow him, to be a disciple is to baptise, to go, baptise and teach, right? That's not just something for this guy or for anyone else in the pulpit. That's the job description for everyone who's a follower of Jesus, right? And second of all is how are you going to be intentional about becoming more like Jesus in your spiritual formation? How are you going to grow as a disciple in this year ahead? Maybe your thing today is, I'm going to get into one of those small groups, right? I'm going to be in community. I'm going to sit under teaching and, and be taught with others, but, you know, I'm going to get in a small group, right? Just, just if you're not, just make that today, okay? Right? Regardless, just say, yes, okay, I'm doing that, Aaron. Right, I'm done, right? I can tick today, I've applied today's message because I'm going to join a small group and then do it. That'd be really cool. That'd be really cool. All right, well, let me pray for you. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you that this year is a brand new year that you've given us and that there is possibilities in the year ahead like never before if we step out and step into those things that you are calling us to. Lord, I pray for each one of us in our going that you would help us move to where people are that need the hope of the gospel that you would help our efforts like in our fun days or Thread Together or those other ministries that we're doing, but also like individually, that you would move us to reach out to people in our going, that we would share the hope of the gospel and baptise people in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit because they've come to see that you are their Lord and Saviour and that we would then walk with them and teach them all the things of the way of Jesus this wonderful way of life that you've called us each into. And I also pray that, Lord, we each would be more intentional about our own spiritual formation, that we would indeed take on the need in our lives for good biblical teaching, and we would sit under that good biblical teaching in our church services and, Lord, also in our small groups, that we would do the things that require the, the, the practice, the, the, the work, the effort over a long period of time, that we would learn the spiritual disciplines which will help us grow to become more like you, that, Lord, our prayer life would abound, Lord, that our, we would be shaped more and more by your Son and in so many different ways. And Lord, that we wouldn't do this alone because Lord, you have designed us to do this in community and that you have empowered each one of us to do this in community through your Holy Spirit. And so Lord, may we be dependent upon you and not try and do this in our own strength, but Lord, do this as you lead and guide us in your timing, I pray. So Lord, may you bless this year ahead as we become disciples who are disciples, are making disciples, Lord. That, Lord, we are apprentices of Jesus. We are followers of you, that we want to be more like our master. May you empower us to do this in this year ahead, I pray. Amen.